Opportunity does not waste time with those who are unprepared. What's going on, Raider Nation? Today is Saturday, April 18th, and this is the Angry Raider Podcast. I'm your host, the Angry Raider. Thank you very much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if this is your first time listening to one of my episodes, uh, what you should really know about this podcast is I am doing this totally 100% as a hobby simply to talk about football. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all I want to do is talk about football. I'm not getting paid to do this, and so this uh, to listen to this podcast is absolutely 100% free. And uh, I'm not going to get a single dime ever doing this. I really just only want to talk about football, specifically Raiders football. So I really do enjoy talking about Raiders football. If you want to talk Raiders football with me, I uh, want to talk about what I uh, want to talk to me a little bit more about anything that I talk about in this episode, hit me up at Angry Raider 2 on Twitter. That's Angry Raider 2. And come to me with uh, with your questions about anything that I talked about or tell me where I'm wrong and how you disagree with me, especially if you disagree with me. Uh, tell me why you disagree with me because it is much more fun to talk about uh, football with people who do not agree with you. The caveat to that being that we're both going to be adults and realize that we can disagree and still get along. Anyway... You get the idea there. So I really like that episode, that um, that quote that I have there, that opportunity does not waste time with those who are unprepared. Anybody who pays attention to the NFL knows how valuable um, preparation is, and especially in the NFL draft. I'd say that for the draft, it is much more important to be, that preparation is much more important than even so more than a game. Because for a game, while preparation is definitely very important and needs to be done, there's still t- things that no matter that no preparation can really overcome. All right, if a player is bigger, faster, stronger, can simply ex- do something just a little bit better uh, than another guy, then he's definitely got an advantage, and you can prepare for every for everything that comes up. But at the end of the day, that guy's just faster than everybody else on the field, and he scores on you and and you wins or vice versa so whereas that's not really so much the case for the draft the draft is solely about preparation about studying the prospects studying the films getting to know them talking to their coaches and really understanding who the player is uh, before you get before you make them a part of your team and this is where mike mayock and john gruden shine now don't let his history with the tampa bay buccaneers fool you john gruden is very good at the draft he's Specifically, he's very good as a talent evaluator. All right, he can study film, and he does so religiously. And he knows a good player when he sees it. He knows a player who can execute uh, his system and who will be a fit in his system very, very well. What he's not so good at, and this is what really cost him in his time with the Buccaneers when he was in charge of the draft, is he's not very good at understanding the player's value. Which, <coughs> ah, excuse me. So anyway, I just uh, I just uh, got over a coronavirus. I, I have, I've had coronavirus here for the last couple of weeks, so if I cough into the microphone, I apologize. Um, I'm getting over the plague here a little bit. Anyway, but my point was uh, John Gruden is not very good at understanding a player's value, where Mike Mayock absolutely shines. And this really has shown itself so much in the trades that he's made and in the in uh, the draft last year in 2019, he did an excellent job. A lot of times in – so leading up into the offseason in 2019, John Gruden wanted to get Antonio Brown. And now I know we all know how that debac- how that whole debacle went. Uh, and he knew that Antonio Brown was good. Obviously, everybody knew that Antonio Brown was good at this point. Um, but he didn't really understand the value. He was calling up Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock was telling him, like, hey – um, I want to get Antonio Brown. Can we give him a our 27th pick? And Mike Mayock said, no, we can't. He said, okay, how about our 35th pick? He goes, no, we can't. And so finally, when it got down to the third and fifth round pick, that's when Mike Mayock agreed. So Mike Mayock is very good at understanding a player's value. And as bad as the Antonio Brown debacle was, it would have been so much worse had we given the Pittsburgh Steelers a first round or a second round pick than rather just a third and a fifth round pick. So Mike Mayock is definitely very good at uh, understanding a player's value, which is exactly where John Gruden uh, lacks at, which makes him an absolute perfect pair because they both study film religiously. Mike Mayock 
has said that the only person that perhaps studies film a little bit more than him is John Gruden. And John Gruden, when he hired Mike Mayock, was talking about how he loved how much film Mike Mayock watched that. He was really the only one who competed with him in how much film they watched together when they worked together at ESPN. So these two definitely definitely do their their preparation uh, looking going into the draft. And so I'm very, very optimistic that the Raiders heading into the 2020 draft will do just as well as they did in the 2019 draft. All right, so... Going into the 2019 draft, I just want to talk real quick about what I think that the Raiders' plan should be going into this draft. Now, this isn't a mock draft or uh, projections or anything like that. All I'm saying is that this is what I want the Raiders to do, not what I think that they will do. And I do fully admit that I could very well be wrong and that the Raiders uh, may very well not do what I want them to do. And it will probably work out for the better. Uh, Hopefully it does. So anyway, but so first let's go over what I see as the team needs. Now, if you've been paying attention at all to uh, to the Raiders for 2019, then you know exactly where our needs lie. All right. Even, uh, and especially, so if you've been paying attention to like 2019 and the 2020 offseason, you know exactly where our needs lie. You know that we need a wide receiver, maybe even two wide receivers at this point. That our wide receiver depth was absolutely horrible after Antonio Brown debacle and then after Tyrell Williams had plantar fasciitis and we were suddenly relying on guys like Zay Jones, like Hunter Renfro, who, Hunter Renfro, to his credit, he at least stepped up. And did very, very well. But then also Marcel Aitman, Keelan Doss, who just aren't ready to perform at the NFL level. So I wish I had like some unbelievable hot take here that would really get people talking about, about it. Like, oh, wow, did you see this? Um, look at what he said and get everybody talking about, about it. But honesty and being unbiased is much more important to me than uh, having some kind of hot take that gets people talking. So if I'm being honest, obviously wide receiver is our biggest need. So probably such a big need that we may need two of them. And then also cornerback. Again, this is another hot take. If you've been paying attention, you know that we need cornerbacks. Uh, then also a backup running back and probably another athletic linebacker. Uh, since we lost DeAndre Washington, we definitely need a backup running back. And honestly, if we're being honest, DeAndre Washington is a good NFL. He's a good NFL running back. Cer- certainly deserves to be in the NFL. And he just signed with the Chiefs. Since he signed with the Chiefs, I wish him nothing but the worst of luck. Um, that he drops every single pass. That he stays healthy at least, but he drops all the passes. He fumbles. He misses his blocking assignments. All those things. So the Chiefs fail. But that he stays healthy. Anyway, uh, while DeAndre Washington is a serviceable running back, we definitely needed an upgrade when Josh Jacobs was un- was unavailable for us for three games. And even during the games that he was available for us, somebody to come in and spell him so that to make our running game even better. And then also a another athletic linebacker. Um, we can we can maybe solve this if we get <coughs> ah excuse me coronavirus. Ah, excuse me again. I promise my uh, coronavirus is much better than it has been uh, for the last several weeks. I've been coughing and just absolutely hacking. It's been absolutely horrible. Anyway, um, if they did get re-signed Will Compton, I'd see that as very serviceable, as a uh, definite upgrade for the linebacking core and probably wouldn't need to draft a linebacker. But maybe we decide to get a linebacker on day three or late in day two. So that we can, so we don't have to resign Will Compton. I don't know. I thought Will Compton did a good job in that uh, he would definitely be <coughs> be a good addition for a linebacking room. Um, then outside of that, uh, defensive tackle. <coughs> Damn it! I swear. I apologize, guys. I'm coughing so much. Um, anyways, a defensive tackle to uh, get a little bit of interior rush, a kicker. Uh, I blame Daniel Carlson for for not making a lot of the fugles that he ever made, that he didn't make. Uh, he really was kind of a weakness for us in 2018 and 
and 2019. I understand that in 2018 and, and the beginning of 2019, at least, he was very accurate, but he has not made a kick beyond 50 yards. This is the NFL. You have to have a field goal, somebody kicks field goals, who can make field goals from beyond 50 yards. And Daniel Carlson so far hasn't. Uh, I believe he only attempted two this year. He missed them both. And also that goes to speak with how little John Gruden trusts him to be able to kick those 50-plus yard field goals that he only attempted to. Uh, a lot of times when it, the distance was 50 yards or more, John Gruden punted just to try and, and pin the team, pin the opponent deep in the territory. This is the NFL. We need a big boy kicker who can make 52, 53, 54, even 55-yard field goals from time to time to make us much more competitive. If we want to get into the playoffs, we have to be able to get those points from 52 yards out. <clears throat> so we definitely need a kicker unless Daniel Carlson improves dramatically. But I would not mind bringing in a lot of competition to, to drive him. And then after all that... Maybe we can upgrade as a quarterback. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I don't see upgrading quarterback as a huge need for the Raiders. Anyway, so heading into the draft now. If you're unfamiliar with it, the Raiders have the 12th and 19th pick in their first rounds, and then they don't have any picks in the second round, and then they have three picks in the third round. I want to say, I want to say it's 90 picks, 90, 91, and 80. I want to. Uh, Probably should have looked that up beforehand. Anyway, they have three picks in the third round. So that's five picks, five of the first 91 picks. So we, we definitely have a lot of draft capital, a lot of ammunition to improve this roster. Unfortunately, we don't have a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick. I would like that. I would like us to have a few picks in the sixth or seventh rounds, but you know I'm okay with the draft capital that we have right now. <laughs> so, ideally, we'd be able to get into the second round as well. Uh, either trading up one way or trading down from uh, picks 12 or 19. So, anyway, now at pick 12, there are four players that if they're available at pick 12, I'd want them to get. Three of them are probably going to be unavailable. They are Isaiah Simmons, Derek Brown, and Jeff Okuda. All right. The best interior Linemen, the best cornerback, and the best linebacker in the draft. Highly doubtful that they are available to us there at pick 12. But crazy things happen in the draft, okay? A lot of people thought that Greedy Williams in 2019 was going to be a first-round pick. A lot of pe people thought that he'd go somewhere in the teens or at least in the 20s. Certainly nobody thought that he'd fall to the mid-second round and be picked up by Cleveland there. He fell all the way down to Cleveland, way down in the middle of the second round. Nobody thought he was going to do that. Um, then also Laramie Tunsil in the, what was it, 2016 draft, I want to say? Yeah, it was a 2016 draft. Laramie Tunsil, or was it 2015 draft? I, no, it was a 2016 draft. Okay, anyway. Laramie Tunsil, right before the draft started, uh, his Instagram or Twitter account or one of the, those accounts got hacked, and suddenly there was a video of him smoking smoking marijuana through a face mask bong, and it was absolutely hilarious. He was supposed to go in the top five, and he fell all the way down to, I want to say Miami at pick 11 or pick 12, somewhere around there. So crazy things happen in the draft. I highly doubt that any of those things, that these three players will fall all the way to 12. But crazier things have happened. Let's not forget, a lot of times teams picking in the first uh, in the top 10 are picking the top 10 because they are absolutely stupid and don't know how to draft pick. I'm looking at you, Cleveland. I'm looking at you, Jacksonville. I'm looking at you, New York Giants and New York Jets. So hopefully they all screw, they, enough of those teams screwed up and we're able to get one of those three players. But we can't count on that. So the fourth player I'd pick with uh, pick 12 is Jerry Judy. All right. I think that he is the best wide receiver. I, I think he's very comparable to uh, Tim Brown. He's uh, six foot one. Tim Brown was six foot. He is 193 pounds, exactly as Tim Brown was when he was drafted. He is a little bit faster than, t 
or excuse me, a little bit slower than Tim Brown. Although Tim Brown in 1988, he ran a 4.39 in the 40-yard dash. Jerry Judy ran a 4.45. Now, a 4.45 is still plenty fast for a wide receiver. Uh, definitely, he definitely didn't run so slow that it draws up a red flag, especially with the 40-yard dash because there are so many things that... The 40-yard dash is indicative of speed, but it is not the end-all, be-all of a player's speed, okay? You have to have other metrics to evaluate a player's speed, all right? Now, first of all, in 1988, Tim Brown wasn't timed with a, with a laser accuracy. It was basically a stopwatch, okay? So that 4.39 could have been in the 4.4s, could have been a little bit lower. We don't know. I highly doubt that he exact, ran it exactly at 4.39 because of just the methods that they that were available to them at that time. Whereas Jerry Judy was timed with uh, laser pinpoint accuracy, so we know that he ran a 4.45. So, but also, Jerry Judy flat out just plays football faster than other people do. Maybe he doesn't, starting the starting blocks and running in a perfectly straight line with nobody in front of you and nobody trying to redirect you or anything like that or press you or bump and, or do bump and run. Nobody is, he's not as fast as everybody else. But he simply plays football faster than a lot of, a lot of people do, right? He moves very, very fluid with his cuts and his breaks, uh, his acceleration, his deceleration. He's very, very good with it. Um, I, I do know Henry Ruggs, is also very good at it. and Henry Ruggs definitely has that blazing fast speed that everybody covets. And I could be talked into taking him at 12, so I wouldn't be disappointed if the Raiders took him at 12. But uh, Jerry Judy would be my would be my first pick for a wide receiver, assuming that Isaiah Simmons, Derek Brown, and Jeff Okuda do not drop to number 12. So now, if those four players are all gone, which is definitely a very real possibility, even Jerry Judy. Uh, ideally, I'd like the Raiders to trade back. While I do like Henry Ruggs and CeeDee Lamb, I don't see the drop-off between them and guys like T. Higgins or uh, Justin Jefferson or Denzel Mims. I don't see the drop-off from those guys, from CeeDee Lamb to those group of guys as so huge. So if we could trade back and get one of those guys, uh, maybe with Atlanta or Dallas or even Jacksonville, who all may want to trade up. Uh, Dallas hasn't indicated that they want to trade up, but Jerry Jones is always super aggressive, and so he may very well want to trade up. Um, Atlanta is rumored to want to trade out to trade up uh, from 16. And Jacksonville and Minnesota, they, they're both teams that have multiple first-round picks that could very well want to trade up to, uh, to get an impact player. Maybe, I mean, especially in Minnesota, since they just lost to Fon Diggs, maybe they want to get CeeDee Lamb. And if CeeDee Lamb is available at 12 and Jerry Judy's not, you know, I'd be willing to trade back with them at pick 22 or pick 25, and probably pick 22 for trading back from pick number 12, and pick up their second-round draft pick in the process as well and get more draft picks and continue to fill out our roster. Uh, if we're unable to trade back, we're unable to find a partner, and we're unable to to get Jerry Judy or any of those four guys that I mentioned. I mean, again, Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, as or even guys like C.J. Henderson, something like that, as a um, as a draft pick, I'm okay with. Um, definitely, all all those players would be huge upgrades for the Raiders. I just like to be able to get a high impact player. And then also pick up a second or even an additional third round draft pick by trading back. Uh, so if we did trade with like Atlanta or Dallas, it'd probably be a third round pick. If we trade back with Minnesota, it'd probably be we'd probably be able to get a second round pick out of it, at least a second round pick, if not more than just a second round pick. And then also at pick number nineteen, um, what basically whichever we get with a pick number twelve, I want to get the. Um, the opposite with pick number 19. What I mean by that is in the first round, I want the Raiders to get a a wide receiver and a cornerback. All right, so whoever they pick at 12, whether it be C.J. Henderson, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, whoever, 
I want them to get the other position at pick number 19. Or, ideally, again, I want them to trade back. Okay, who can they trade back for? Again, uh, maybe, perhaps, Minnesota doesn't want to trade all the way up to pick number 12, but maybe they're willing to go from pick 25 to pick 19. And we pick up a second or third round there, or at least pick number 22. And going from 22 to 19, we could definitely get a third round pick for that and then have four third round picks and continue to fill out our roster a little bit more. Um, Green Bay, they are a team that definitely did, definitely had an awesome season. They went all the way to the NFC Championship game. Green Bay, the entire season, played 18 games, and they went 14-4. and four. Unfortunately, two of those four losses were to the San Francisco 49ers. And the San Francisco 49ers also have two first-round draft picks. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Green Bay Packers would be willing to trade up to pick number 19 and give the Raiders a second-round draft pick so they can get a high-impact player to continue to uh, win their division this year heading into 2020 and to compete for a Super Bowl as Aaron Rodgers, as their Super Bowl window is starting to close with Aaron Rodgers. It's definitely far from close right now, but let's be real, 2020, 2021, 2022, it's going to be a little bit of a decline for Aaron Rodgers, and that window is going to be closing here sooner rather than later. So they may want to be very aggressive this year to try and get one more Super Bowl while they that window is open with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so... Again, just a, a lot of players that we could that we can get if we if with 19 if we trade back or if, or not. I mean, guys like AJ AJ Terrell, um, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk out of uh, ASU. I know Brandon Ayuk may be a little bit of reach, so I'd probably get him if we are able to trade back into the mid to late 20s or even early 30s. <clears throat> um, so if Ideal, unless we're able to get Jerry Judy, I don't want to trade back from both picks 12 and 19 and just continue to get draft picks. Even if there are draft picks where we get like a future second rounder, you know, I definitely want to get, I, I want to just have as many draft picks possible for us because as our needs are, especially our first two needs as cornerback and wide receiver, this is a very good draft for both of those position groups. And so we can get very good players who will make a huge impact for us this year and continue to fill out the roster. You know, the drop-off from the top from the top tier guys to the guys that we can get in the later in the first round or in the second round, it's not going to be a huge drop-off. We're still going to be able to do very, very well. All right. So like if if we stood pat as we are now with those five picks. As I see it, ideally we get someone like um, Jerry Judy with pick number 12 and maybe A.J. Terrell out of Clemson with pick number 19. That might be a little bit of reach, but I doubt that Christian Fulton or um, C.J. Henderson is going to be available with uh, pick number 19. I doubt that very, very much. Again, stranger things have happened. Okay, Everybody thought that Greedy Williams was going to go um, first round, and he already and he fell yeah, as I talked about earlier, he fell all the way to the Browns. So, again, crazier things have happened. So if we stood pat with our picks now, 12-19, that's what I want to do in the first round. In the third round, I'd want to get probably another wide receiver, an athletic linebacker who's able to fill out our linebacker room, um, and then also a backup running back. Now, I don't do enough research to be able to tell you names of players that we'd be that we'd want to get uh, I don't. I just don't do that much research. I'm sorry, guys. If you want to, there are plenty of guys who do that much research, and I suggest you hit them up and talk to them about it. Uh, guys like uh, Malik Obi, uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, Malik Obi, it's M-A-L-I-I-K-O-B-E-E. -E. He he does excellent work uh, scouting out players. Uh, most people know about Mostradamus, uh, Maurice Mot Moten on uh, Twitter as well. I think he's at uh, at Mo Moten. You can look at he does excellent scouting reports and um, I don't know this guy totally. It's a Grizz. I think it's like Grizz Raider of the North or like Raider Grizz, something like that. I don't I don't know his handle. Um, if you are already a Raiders fan on Twitter, you know who I'm talking about. It's uh, the Grizz guy's got this big burly beard on his uh, avatar. Anyway, he is huge on Henry Ruggs, and so if he's listening to this. I definitely did 
I definitely like uh, like your take on Henry Ruggs, and I could be talked into taking him at 12. I know you want him at 12. Anyway, so what that would leave is for day three, we would need to use day three to get a defensive tackle and then a fourth offensive tackle. We definitely need a fourth offensive tackle. Brandon Parker was a horrible offensive tackle for us, and we had to use him when Trent Brown, both Trent Brown and Dave Sharp were injured. So I would like for us to be able to get a fourth offensive tackle that is better than Brandon Parker, which should not be bad, which is why I want to trade back from 12 and 19 to at least get a fourth third-round draft pick so that we can get a fourth third-round draft pick and be able to get that fourth offensive tackle. So, anyway, that's uh, kind of my plans for the 2020 draft for the Raiders. I'm, I know it's not uh, wildly in-depth and, um, and or any outrageous uh, takes, but, hey, let me know what you think about it, and we'll, we'll talk about it on Twitter again, at uh, AngryRaider2, and we'll talk all about it. Okay, guys, so that wraps up what I want to talk about with the 2020 draft. And so the next thing that I want to talk about was Derek Carr. If you mentioned, I said that the Raiders possibly could upgrade from uh, their QB position, but I don't see it as a huge need. I see it as the absolute least uh, need that the Raiders have. Uh, It was so funny. I I just recently joined Twitter uh, solely so I could talk about football. It's the only reason I'm even on Twitter to begin with. And I had no idea. I always knew that there was kind of this divide amongst Raiders fans about Derek Carr, if he was a franchise quarterback or not, if he was uh, the quarterback that they should have. I had no idea how toxic that divide was until I joined Twitter. My goodness, it is absolutely ridiculous. So I want to set the record straight on how I think about Derek Carr. Now, Derek Carr, in my opinion, he is a legitimate NFL starter and a legitimate NFL franchise quarterback. Right? He is a very good quarterback. He is not elite. And I don't know if he is the long-term solution for the Raiders. Right? But I do know that heading into 2020 and 2021, and most likely 2021, but definitely for 2020, he is our best option for starting quarterback. Okay? Looking at all the free agents that were out there for 2020, like Philip Rivers, uh, Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater, even Tom Brady, I saw Derek Carr as a better option than all of those guys heading into 2020 for the Raiders. Okay, and apparently so did Mike Mayock and John Gruden. For whatever for whatever that's worth for you. Anyway. Now, the Raiders had a whole lot of problems for uh, in 2019. And Derek Carr just simply was not one of the problems. I'm not going to say that he was one of the solutions, but he certainly wasn't one of the problems, okay? Now, there's a lot of criticisms that I hear about Derek Carr. One of the criticisms being that if he, if he really was a franchise quarterback, he'd be able to have a winning record. You know, he doesn't have a winning record. He's 39 and 55 as a starter. Okay. Win-loss record, that is not a quarterback stat. That is a freaking team stat. Football, especially in the NFL, it is a game played for 60 minutes with 22 people on the field at a time. Playing anywhere between 110 to 130, maybe 140 plays for 16 games. It is such a huge machine. An NFL game is such a huge machine, and the quarterback is a cog. Maybe the biggest cog, especially on the field, the biggest cog of what's going on in the game, but, oh, my goodness, it is still just a cog, all right? Not every quarterback, in fact, no quarterback can overcome um, a deficient roster, okay? Two quarterbacks are very, very good in that they can take a subpar roster and take them into the playoffs, Okay, those two guys are Russell Wilson over in Seattle and Patrick Mahomes. And actually, we don't even know if Patrick Mahomes can do that because Patrick Mahomes, when he joined the Kansas City Chiefs, they already had a playoff team. Okay, they were going to the playoffs with freaking Alex Smith. Andy Reid took Alex Smith, gave him um, gave him all those weapons that they had, Kareem Hunt, freaking uh, Sammy Watkins, and... Uh, <coughs> Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill gave him all his weapons and 
freaking Alex Smith, who had never thrown for even 3,500 yards in a single season, throws for over 4,500 uh, yards and 35 touchdowns. Okay? He had a very good team. So Patrick Mahomes has always had a very good roster. He's only played for two seasons, and both those seasons, he's had an excellent roster. Now, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because I, as I watched him play, there is no weakness in his game. He can, he can make every single throw, and even some throws that we didn't even know that quarterbacks can be able to make, he makes them all. All right, He is very good. He understands the, uh, the Chiefs system. He understands the Reese system and runs it to perfection. He is very good with timing, anticipation, and he is very, very mobile. In the playoffs against both the Texans and the uh, and the Titans, he had touchdown runs for, I believe, over 25 yards, if I'm remembering correctly. So the guy literally has no weaknesses in his game. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can take a roster that has problems, such as not having any running backs, and still take him in, or a decent uh, offensive line or really good wide receivers like Russell Wilson and still take him into the playoffs and even win the wild card game. <clears throat> I believe that Patrick Mahomes is that talented. Um, we don't know for sure because he hasn't had to do it. Outside of those two, no quarterback. I mean, no quarterback can lead a subpar team to the playoffs. It is too much of a team game, okay? People talk about Tom Brady. Well, let's not forget that Matt Cassell went freaking 11-5 and when Tom Brady was injured, okay? Let's not forget that Jimmy Garoppolo was 2-0 or at least 3-0 or 2-0 or when uh, Tom Brady was suspended for the first part of, was it the 2018 season or 2017 season? It was one of those two. It was the 2017 season. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo was 2-0, and even Jacoby Brissett uh, won a game. Tom Brady's, back, Tom Brady's backup, backup won a game. His backup's backup won a game, okay? The third-string quarterback won a game for the Patriots. The Patriots had a really good team and a really good system and a really good culture that was all, all around um, – that was enabled them to win so well. Tom Brady is definitely a huge reason for that success, but he is not the reason for that success. Okay, he may very well be the greatest quarterback of all time, but he's also on the some of the greatest teams with some of the greatest coaches and the greatest defenses and the greatest defenses and the greatest offenses of all time. And not having guys like Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, Randy Moss, it all really helps too. All right, so, but even this year, Tom Brady really struggled. Um, they, they did get into the playoffs without any good wide receivers, but they still had an unbelievably good defense and still really good options at running back. Um, other quarterbacks who couldn't take bad teams into the playoffs, uh, freaking even Aaron Rodgers, okay? 2017 and 2018, Aaron Rodgers, if I remember correctly, he was below 500 when you compare those two years. Even the great Aaron Rodgers, arguably the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. I don't think so, but uh, certainly one of the better quarterbacks uh, these last couple of years. Even he couldn't take the Green Bay Packers into the playoffs um, in 2017 or 2018 because it's such a team sport. Drew Brees is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't know if that's the argument that I would make if I was talking about the greatest quarterback of all time, but he definitely has to be in the discussion because he has the most freaking touchdown passes of all time and the most passing yards of all time. So he's definitely somewhere in the discussion if he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. Drew Brees has eight NFL seasons where he had, where he was 500 or below. Eight seasons. Okay. Eight seasons where he was not a winning quarterback, including 2014, 2015, and 2016. Three straight years, he went 7-9. and nine. If Drew Brees cannot overcome a bad team and take them into the playoffs and overcome a relatively weak division, actually, when you consider most teams, um, I mean, definitely... In 15 and 16, okay, I get it. The Falcons and the Panthers went to the Super Bowl that year. But, um, but I mean, the Buccaneers, there are still the Buccaneers. And I think only one team from the AFC South, or excuse me, NFC South, was going to the playoffs. Okay, so even if they weren't winning the division, they could have gotten in at the wild card. All right, 
Drew Brees couldn't do it. But suddenly, oh, hey, look at this. We're going to draft Alvin Kamara. We're going to draft Marshawn Lattimore. We're going to draft Sheldon Richardson. We're going to, you know, pick up, uh, we're going to retain Cam Jordan. We're going to get all these pieces for him. Draft Michael Thomas. We're going to get all these pieces for him. And hey, look at this. Drew Brees is now once again leading the New Orleans Saints into the playoffs. Okay? If Drew Brees goes 7-9 for three straight years, then obviously the best court, having the best quarterback does not mean that you are going to go to the playoffs. Okay? Obviously, it is much, so much more about having just a good quarterback. And if we can't expect Drew Brees to overcome all that, how in the hell can you expect any other quarterback to do that? Because he is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. All right. Okay, seriously, if it always came down to the best quarterback, then how in the hell did Nick Foles win a, win a Super Bowl? How in the hell did Jimmy Garoppolo get into the Super Bowl? Are you seriously going to tell me that Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers? I mean, who else is in the NFC who's a very good quarterback? Okay, I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers. You got uh, Matt Ryan. You got Russell Wilson. Uh, who else you got? I, I'm drawing a blank, but you get, you get the point. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the best quarterback in the NFC. But, sure as hell, the San Francisco 49ers were the best team in the NFC. Certainly much better than the Green Bay Packers, despite Aaron Rodgers far and away being a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Is there anyone who would seriously think that if you swapped Russell Wilson for Jimmy Garoppolo, that um, that Jimmy Garoppolo would, would have taken the CLC Hawks to the Super Bowl last year? Bullshit. I call bullshit. All right? It is not simply about having the best quarterback. All right? You definitely need to have a very good quarterback. Derek Carr certainly is a very good quarterback. Let's not forget all the things that Derek Carr had to deal with this year, okay? The lost, the Oakland Raiders led the league in 2019 in penalties and, and penalties yards, or, or they're at least a top three. Every year of his career, Derek Carr has been top five in drop passes. Okay? Let's take this scenario. This is a really fun scenario. Tell me where Derek Carr fucks up in this scenario. Okay? So, I won't tell you the game just yet, but the Raiders were up 14-7 to at this point. And there was about a little over four and a half minutes to go in the first half. And the Raiders' defense just stopped the opponent deep in their own territory. And I think the puncher was actually punting if inside his own end zone, if not... If not inside his, end, his own end zone, definitely within his own five-yard line. So the perfect scenario for the, for the Raiders at this point. They're getting the ball back, four and a half minutes to go. They're going to have really good field position, assuming that this, court, that this punter doesn't kick into the stratosphere and pin him deep, um, which only a few uh, punters have actually been able to do anyway. So we're looking at the Raiders having really good starting position, at least from the 35 beyond, if and if there's a really good return, maybe even better. Okay. And four and a half minutes left, so they can kind of milk the clock, definitely give the team, definitely score, go up <coughs> at least 17 to 7 heading into halftime, if not 21 to 7, or 17 to 10, 21 to 10, depending on how much time, uh, depending on how fast they score and how much time uh, the other team has to score. I, I do know that they probably would have had a couple of uh, timeouts left. Anyway. So the punt is off, and it's fielded at the 36. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. The Raiders are going to have really good field position. Uh, our punt returner does not muff the punt. He fields it cleanly. Even gets a pretty decent uh, seven-yard return. Putting the Raiders first and 10 with just under four and a half minutes left in the first half. First and 10 at the 43-yard line. Excellent. Excellent. Here we go, Derek Carr. Let's make it happen. Let's, get, let's step on these guys' throats. Put the Raiders up by two scores heading to the halftime. Oh, wait. There was a block in the back penalty that happened at the 36-yard line. So the Raiders are not starting at the 43-yard line. They're not starting at the 36-yard line. They're starting at the 26-yard line now. Okay. You know, had he not blocked the guy in the back and the punter just fair, just did a fair catch, the Raiders would be starting at the, at the 36. Still really damn good. But no, now that... This guy did block in the back. It was a good call. I look at it. Yeah, so the Raiders are not starting at the 26. Okay. All right. Hey, no problem. Derek Carr is a professional quarterback, and he's the quarterback for the Raiders, so he definitely has to be able to overcome a few uh, missteps and penalties. No problem. 
Darren Waller runs a beautiful uh, wheel route, the same wheel route that he ran against Denver in week one, the exact same play. And Derek Carr again hits him, uh, just lost it right over the defender, uh, picks up uh, 20, 25, maybe even 30 yards. So the Raiders, and he get, gets knocked out of bounds. So the clock stops. The Raiders are at roughly midfield. First and 10. Here we go. Let's go, Raiders. Derek Carr is coming through. We're going to score. We're going to go up by two scores. Things are happening. Oh, wait. Holding against the offense. Well, bring it all back. Shit. It's now first and 20 from the 16. Remember, we started this at the 43. At the worst case scenario, if we don't screw up, we start this at the 36. You add the 25-yard reception. The Raiders are almost in field goal position. Or the Raiders are in field goal position. Well, no, not for Daniel Carlson. They're not. But anyway. If we start, if we were able to start at the 43, heck, at this point, we are in field goal position. After one play, we're looking pretty good to score. Okay. Hey, you know what? No problem. Derek Carr has had to deal with a few holding penalties, and he's gotten us out of them before. We can still go down and, and score. Well, shit. Snaps the ball. False start on the offense. So now, we're back. It's first and 25 from the 11-yard line. And there's somewhere just over four minutes to go in the first half now. And the Raiders have to come up with 25 yards in three plays. All right. And, the tech, and by the way, the Texans have, have a formidable defense. Not great, but J.J. Uh, Watt's coming down your ass. Okay, so they have... We can't just sit back and they have a really good they have a really good pass rush. With only even if they only had JJ Watt, they have a good pass rush. Okay, so well crap. Now it's first and twenty-five. The Raiders are un, unable to convert as most te teams would uh that would happen to most teams with first and twenty-five. Okay. Let's not we can't put that on Derek Carr. All right, they, I think they were able to get uh, 20, 20 to 22 yards of those back. They're still deep in their own territory, fourth down and five or three or whatever. They had to punt. Where did Derek Carr screw up in that? Where did he screw up in that? He didn't. His team screwed up. What game was that? Oh, I already, already gave it away. It said it was J.J. Watt. Uh, I said it was the Texans game. Yeah, this was the Texans game. That game that we lost 27 to 24. Yeah, where if those that holding that block in the back penalty, that holding penalty, and that false start penalty, you take one of those penalties away, any one of them, any one of those three penalties, Derek Carr probably overcomes two of those penalties and picks up uh, gets the picks up a first down against the Raiders um, into a scoring position to take a bigger lead at the end of the halftime. But all three of them, all three of them, no, that's not going to happen. All right, so yes, Derek Carr is a good quarterback. All right, he was not our biggest problem in 2019. Now, and I'm not just cherry-picking that one game, okay? The Jacksonville game. Brandon Parker couldn't block anyone to save his ass. All right, and I hope he's cut because of that game. He was absolutely horrible in that game. Tyrell Williams dropping passes on uh, key third downs that would have given the Raiders a first down and would have sealed the game. The refs, of course, blowing that game when uh, Derek Carr slid inbounds and he counted him out of bounds. Yeah, and then to top it all off, Daniel Carlson missing a 45-yard uh, field goal. And then even, yeah, a 45. He missed a 50-yard field goal first. Then there was a run into the kicker, to, which was a 5-yard penalty. Then he missed a 45-yard field goal. All right, if any one of those three things goes better, if Tyrell Williams makes the catch, if the refs count Derek Carr inbounds, if... Uh, Daniel Carson makes the damn field goal from 45 yards out. Then the Raiders most likely win that game. All right, any one of those three things, none of which were Derek Carr's fault. The pass was was on target and a good pass. It hit him in the hands. He dropped it. All right, Derek Carr has nothing to do with the field goal, and the rest absolutely blew the call. And Derek Carr is not blocking, is not the one blocking. Brandon Parker is, and he screwed up that entire game. All right, and it wasn't just that game either. You can go on for 
So many games. Some some games, um, uh, Derek Carr was able to will the Raiders to a victory, like against the Bears. Okay, Trevor Davis fumbling at the goal line, costing Raiders a, a touchdown. Yeah, that that really sucks. That's working against him. Derek Carr gave him the ball on a beautiful screen, wide receiver screen. All he had to do was get two more inches, but no, he fumbles. Okay, how about Marcel Aitman fumbling after picking up a a uh, first down uh, against Denver. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Still talking about the uh, Bears game. Okay, how about Josh Jacobs uh, reads the audible correctly and takes a pitch from Derek Carr when he's expecting a handoff. So Derek Carr is expecting to pitch it. Josh Jacobs is expecting a handoff. Josh Jacobs is supposed to know the uh, the audible. He's supposed to know that. All right, but no, Derek Carr pitches it back to nobody, and it was you know it was the right call because. If you look at how that it was supposed to be a pitch, because if you look at it, uh, go back and look at that play, had Josh Jacobs gone wide, he definitely would have uh, picked up. There was a lot of green space in front of him, and he would have picked up a lot of yards. But no, Josh Jacobs, being a rookie, he makes a mistake, and then he compounds that mistake by not picking up, by not just falling on the ball, but he tries to scoop it up and try, try to run, and he mishandles it. And uh, Khalil Mack recovers, and the Bears are right back in that game now. How are we going to blame that game on? How are we going to blame those plays on Derek Carr? Those were game-changing uh, turnovers that happened that had nothing to do with Derek Carr. All right, and yet even after all that, Derek Carr still wills his team to a fourth-quarter comeback. Uh, to a fourth quarter drive and wins the game. And I believe that was the game that, uh, who made the interception against Chase Daniel to seal it? I can't remember who it was. I want to, it wasn't Daryl Worley. Um, was it, wasn't Carl Joseph? Was it Eric Harris? It might've been Eric Harris. I can't remember who made the game sealing interception. No, it was Gary and Conley, I think. Anyway, uh, the Raiders won it after, a uh, interception by Chase Daniel. Now, in that fourth quarter drive, Derek Carr played beautifully, made some awesome throws. One uh, was to, I believe, Marcel Aitman to get him into scoring position. Josh Jacobs also made a couple of huge runs, and so it wasn't all Derek Carr. Uh, but, again, that was a game that we should have blown them out, But and Derek Carr played excellent, but the other players just kept shooting themselves in the foot. It was absolutely horrible. All right. Now, there was one game where we probably weren't going to win anyway because we couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers to save our fucking lives. All right. He had a perfect passer rating, literally a perfect passer rating. All right. Threw for something like five touchdowns, ran for another one. Okay. We weren't stopping Aaron Rodgers at all. And yet somehow we blame Derek Carr for that loss. Now, yes, he did have two red zone turnovers. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he fumbled out of the end zone. And that was the second time he's, he's done that. Yeah, I get it. That's really bad. Okay, and so that's definitely on him, and he did not help us win that game. Uh, he definitely stood in our way to help us win that game. Um, would we have won it anyway? Uh, probably in a shootout, but Derek Carr uh, didn't play good enough to get us in that uh, to get us in that position, so we'll never know. So yeah, I put that game on him, uh, but you can't solely put it on him, even with the other uh, touchdown uh, interception or interception in the end zone. Yeah, those two turnovers, they were big. But again, the defense wasn't going to stop him. So, but yeah, maybe. Derek Carr definitely didn't help. And yeah, he wasn't perfect again. But for the most part, Derek Carr was not the problem. Maybe he wasn't the solution, but he wasn't the problem. All right. And in in some cases, he was the solution. Like against the Bears. Yeah, he was definitely the solution uh, in that game. Should have been the solution in uh, Jacksonville, Week 15, and against Denver in Week 17. Should have been. But again, other players made mistakes and blew it. So, yeah. So is Derek Carr the future of the franchise beyond 2021? Uh, Even beyond 2020, I don't know. But he's certainly the best option for 2020. And he certainly wasn't the problem in 2019. And he's not going to be the problem in 2020. And he probably is our best option going forward. Maybe not. Maybe not. But if we want to 
if we want to get a quarterback, like a lot of people are talking about Jordan Love, and oh, because Jordan Love reminds us so much of Patrick Mahomes, and look at what the Chiefs did, yada, yada, yada. They had Alex Smith. He was a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. They got an elite quarterback, and now look at them go. They're winning, they just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, again, if you did that right now, you would not be handing Jordan Love an elite roster like, he, like uh, Patrick Mahomes was given. So stop it. Don't even try and do it. All right. Anyway, so those are my views on Derek Carr. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, if you disagree with me, hit me up at at, Ringer, at Raider Two, um, at excuse me at Angry Raider Two, and let me know uh, where you think I'm wrong, and talk to me on Twitter. We'll go. We'll have a little back and forth and let you guys know. All right. So my next segment is not going to be about the Raiders. It's just something that I want to talk about real quick, uh, a little bit about U.S. politics. So if you don't want to talk about U.S. politics, then don't bother with the. Um, with the third segment of this podcast. And thanks for joining us. Uh, if you just want to listen about the Raiders, if not, I think you would really find it interesting uh, about the third, about the uh, third segment. So I definitely suggest that you give it a listen if you have the time. All right, guys, thanks for joining me. All right, guys. So now I just want to talk about the, this will be the last segment of this episode. And now I mentioned that the entire reason I started this podcast and got on Twitter was to talk football. And now I want to change it up just a little bit and talk for a few minutes about politics. Now, again, on Twitter, pretty much all I, I only follow other Raiders fans and um, the main Raiders content creators and things like that. Uh, I don't follow any political uh, political people on Twitter, any senators, any politicians, nothing, and or any political commentators uh, on media or anything like that. I don't follow any of them. I only want to talk about football. But as I'm talking about football, there's a lot of Raiders fans who I think have some really, really stupid political ide- ideologies, and I, I just kind of want to set the record straight here for a minute. So hopefully, if you're one of those guys who I think has really stupid ideas about politics, you're listening to this part. If not, well, it sucks be you. You'll continue to just have these really stupid policies. Anyway, what I can't stand is how people in America and the Raiders fans on Twitter are so are complaining all the time about how how the healthcare system in America is so bad or how you know, all these European countries and every other developed country in the world has free college tuition or free healthcare or, you know, free this, free that has, has this, uh, social program to help their citizens or this social program. And America has none of them. I can't believe that, that those countries can afford it, but we, but we as a nation can't afford it. How is it that the richest country in the world can't afford these things that all these other countries can do? Well, there's a damn good reason why those countries can afford it and we can't. It has everything to do that the United States of America is literally subsidizing those countries' national defense on our dime. Yes, you heard that right. We are protecting those nations and we are paying for it. We are paying to defend those countries. Okay, I'm talking about I'm talking about our major allies. Okay, our NATO allies and our allies in the UN. I can't stand the UN. The UN's such a stupid idea. But anyway, was it? I can't remember if it was the UN or NATO. It was NATO, I believe. Where if you're a part of that agreement, that you're supposed to be able to, that you're supposed to spend a certain amount of your percentage of GDP to national defense. And literally, none of our allies meet that meet that criteria. Uh, or if they, and sometimes if they do, some of the countries do, but they haven't for most of the, for most of the last two decades, for most years of the last two decades. Okay, some countries are starting to come around to it, but literally for a long, for the better part of two decades, or even longer than that in some cases, none of them have. Okay, I'm talking about our quote unquote allies. Okay. I'm talking about England. I'm talking about uh, here in Italy. If you didn't know that I um, I live in Italy, all right. I'm an American citizen who lives in Italy. I'm here for work. Um, I'm talking about Germany. I'm talking about Japan. I'm talking about South Korea. These these are our quote unquote allies, and we are literally we literally have our military stationed in their countries to support and defend their country's borders. I'm not making this up. This is absolutely 100% what it is. We have 
Air Force bases all over England. I believe we have a larger Air Force presence in England than the freaking Royal Air Force does. All right, we uh, we have um, we have Air Force bases and we also have army bases all over Germany. We have a missile defense base in Poland. I actually kind of excuse Poland a little bit because Poland actually does pay us for that. They do, I don't know how much they're paying us every year for that, but they, they do pay us quite a bit for it every year. So I do kind of excuse Poland a little bit from that. Uh, I know that we have a couple Air Force, a couple Navy bases, and a couple Army bases right here in Italy. I know that we have them. I, I see the American service members here all the time. I talk to them on a regular basis because it's so easy to, to spot out the Americans um, here in, in Italy because the American men are generally uh, about three or four inches taller and um, about 30 to 40 pounds heavier than the Italians. And it's not because they're fat. The Americans are fat. It's because the Italians are so skinny. Okay, so and then with the uh, usually with the haircut and the clean shave that the uh, that the soldiers and airmen and uh, sailors are supposed to have in the military, yeah, you can point them, you can spot them really, really quick, really, really quick. And so yeah, I talked to them a little bit about it, and yeah, we're literally here defending Italy and other European countries and even parts of Africa at. And the American taxpayers is paying for all of it. Do you realize that America has a defense budget of nearly $1 trillion? I think it's just short of $900 billion is what America will spend for defense in 2020. All right, now, I'm not saying at all that our brave uh, service members in the Marines and the Coast Guard and the Navy and the Air Force and in the Army don't deserve the benefits, don't deserve the training, don't deserve the pay, don't deserve the health care. Um, I'm not saying that they don't deserve that at all. What I am saying is that we are literally spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year and have been for the better part of the last five decades defending Germany, defending England, defending Italy, defending all of Europe, defending Saudi Arabia, defending Kuwait, defending Japan, defending South Korea. These are our supposed allies, and we are defending them on our own dime. And why are we defending them? Okay, is it because America is this imperial empire and we're looking to control the world? No, that's not it at all. You know why I know that? Because I know that we are only in those countries at the request of those countries' governments. Yes. Yes, we are there in agreement with those countries' governments. That's not what an empire does. An empire invades a country and says, hey, we're here now. We're in charge. You obey our rules. No. Those countries ask us for help, say, this is what we need. We give it to them because we're allies. And they say, hey, we need you guys to obey these rules because we are our own sovereign nation and we are still in charge. And so, yes, our service members, not only are they in all these countries, but they have to obey the um, they have to obey extra rules and extra protocols that they'll, that that country's government imposes on our military. All right, it's absolutely 100% ridiculous that we are funding this. Your taxpaying dollars are going to defend uh, Italy, to defend all of Europe, okay? All of those European countries, they're able to give uh, their, their citizens free health care and free uh, subsidize their child care, subsidize their college tuition, subsidize all this because they're not spending jack on their own national defense. And if they were required to spend their own national defense, if America pulled out and said, no, we're not doing this anymore, it's stupid, we've been doing it for nearly a half a century, or for actually longer than half a century, uh, now that we're in 2020, we've been doing this for so long, we're not doing it anymore, those countries would not be able to fund all those social programs. It's not going to, it wouldn't happen. I live in Italy. Italy is nearly bankrupt as it is. Okay, if they suddenly had to spend hundreds of billions more euro every year on their national defense, they would not. They would either 100% go bankrupt or they would have to cut a heck of a lot of the social programs that they offer their citizens. The same is true for, um, for England and Germany and all of Europe. All right, the exact, all of that is, is true. And what are we protecting? Why, so why are we in Europe if we're not here being the evil empire? What are we here? We're here literally to deter Russian aggression. That is what our, our troops are doing.
they are deterring Russian aggression. Now, and it's really funny because most Europeans don't even know that that's what the, they're doing. They think that uh, our, our troops are here to, because we're an evil empire and we're trying to, to govern them, which we're obviously not because we're not forcing them to do jack shit. They're not even paying for this stuff. Okay, so, so I was talking this with a with a, another European, <clears throat> and because I actually did quite a bit of research on this on this subject, uh, when I found out that we were spending so much um, to defend these countries here, our allies again. So, one guy said, "No, that's not what you're doing here. Russia is not a uh, a military threat to the to to Europe. Russia would never." This was his exact wording. Russia would never use military force against Europe. And I said, are you sure about that? This was earlier this year that I was talking to this guy. Are you sure about that? Did you talk with the guys in the Crimean Peninsula about that? I'm pretty sure they would disagree with you. For anyone who's not familiar with the Crimean Peninsula, Crimea is a peninsula uh, that was formerly of Ukraine. Ukraine, as you know, is an Eastern Bloc country, and it borders Russia. And Russia... Uh, especially President Putin and many of the um, other Russian government officials and many uh, Russian uh, citizens believe that Ukraine is legally part of Russia and should be recognized as Russian. Obviously, Ukraine disagrees with this sentiment, as does the entire rest of the world. Okay, so in about 2014, 2015, I can't remember the exact timeline, President Putin orders the Russian military to invade the Crimean Peninsula, and they take it in less than four hours without firing a single shot. They literally walked right in and dismissed the, the local government and said, you're no longer in charge. This is now Russia. It is no longer Ukraine. This peninsula belongs to Russia. This happened. This happened in, in 2014 or 2015. You can look it up. All right. That's so. I'm like, so you are. T so I was telling to this guy, you were telling me that Russia does not want, would not ever use military force against Europe. I'm telling you, they did, in less than a decade ago. So, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. This is obviously some bullshit. And so then his next point was, oh, Russia doesn't have the ability to attack Europe. Okay, Russia is so weak. They only have one aircraft carrier, and it's diesel-powered, and it, it breaks down all the time. They have to tug it back. It's absolutely horrible. And this is, this is true, by the way. Russia does only have one aircraft carrier, and it is diesel-powered. Um, where like the the American aircraft carriers are nuclear powered, so they don't need to refuel for you know 200 years or something like that. It's absolutely ridiculous. And yes, it does break down. It's pretty much um, a punishment to be assigned to this um, aircraft carrier of Russia's. So yes, he's absolutely right. Except last time I checked, Russia would not need an aircraft carrier to invade Europe. No, 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 they, they wouldn't. You know what they would need? Their tanks. And their tanks are very sophisticated, uh, arguably more sophisticated than the American tanks. And they have a hell of a lot of them. And they could muster up more tanks, and their air force is very, um, very, very powerful as well. Um, more advanced than anything that the European Union has to offer. And so, yes, with, these, uh, with this air force and with these tanks and with these ground forces, they would be able to invade Europe. And they would steamroll through any part of Europe that they wanted to take. And let's not forget, Vladimir Putin, he is one of those, as many Russian government officials are and many Russian citizens are, uh, like-minded of this, that they believe that Russia, after World War II, got a raw end of the deal. Um, and should have had more of, of that land uh, for them. <coughs> they had all the way up to West Berlin. You're familiar with the uh, iron, with the uh, Berlin Wall, the you know Iron Curtain and all that uh, bullshit. And you're familiar that the um, USSR uh, eventually fell and collapsed, and that all those countries, the uh, Eastern Bloc countries, the Baltic countries, all those that were once part of Russia are now part of the European Union, and even now part of the. Uh, NATO alliance. <sighs> and 
Many people believe that that is rightfully Russia's. Many Russians, including Vladimir Putin, including many government officials and many Russian citizens, believe that that is all rightfully Russia's because they won it after World War II. Because they were, they were the, uh, the country that did the, the real heavy lifting in World War II. And they were. They legitimately were. They were really the country that broke the Nazis back. If America never entered World War II, World War II would have gone on for a much, much longer, but the outcome pretty much would have been the same. Um, and so America came in and definitely brought it to a much quicker end, but Russia really bore the brunt of it. They did the heavy fighting. They had the most casualties. I think their country alone lost like 70 million soldiers and, and civilians. It was unbelievable how many people they lost. They had their factories, their oil fields, their cities, their towns absolutely decimated by this war. Whereas America was virtually untouched. You know, outside of Pearl Harbor, America, we lost uh, several hundred thousand soldiers to, to D-Day and, you know, to the war in general. 100,000 compared to tens of millions? Yeah, Russia got the raw end of the deal. I don't think it was 70 million. Excuse me, I think I misspoke. Uh, but it definitely was in the tens of millions. They lost a lot of people in that. And so they thought that they got the raw end of the deal. And they think that, they, that all those European countries are theirs. And the only thing deterring that, this from them from taking it back is the U.S. troops stationed here. Now, we don't have so many U.S. troops stationed here that we'd be able to uh, completely stop the Russians from taking anything that they want. But we do have enough that they would be able to maintain a foothold. And so by the time reinforcements came, uh, the reinforcement would have to do another full-on invasion like we had to do in World War II, where we... Um, uh, you know, where we dropped on the beaches of Normandy and uh, with the airborne, um, the airborne jumps that, that we had in, uh, in D-Day. And all those tens of thousands of soldiers that we lost that day and Allied soldiers uh, lost, we wouldn't have to do another one of those because we'd have a foothold. We'd be able to get people, uh, troops there, and supplies and ammunitions and be able to fight uh, the Russians back. And the Russians know this. And that's exactly what keeps them back. And... America is literally spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year defending Europe, defending South Korea, defending Japan. When these countries are more than capable of defending themselves, America is spending hundreds of billions of dollars on it. You want to bring down the American deficit. You want to spend less on defense. You want to spend more on social services for American citizens. Get the troops out of our quote-unquote allies countries. Stop defending our allies on our dime. All right, so before you go off and say, we need to have free healthcare, we need to have free college education. No, no, we don't. We need to get the, we need to stop. We need to stop defending our allies and they need to defend themselves. All right, we need to stop defending our allies on our dime. That's what we need. So yeah, that's it. That's my political rant. If you disagree with that, I honestly don't see how any American disagrees with that at all. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Socialist, Green Party, Libertarian, uh, Tea Party, I honestly don't see how any free-thinking American disagrees with that at all. All right.